Well, good morning, Center Church. It is good to be with you. I hope you're having a great summer so far. I feel like two Sundays off for me feels like a lifetime. I don't know about you, but two fun. I was like, man, I feel like I haven't been here forever, and it's been like two weeks being gone. But um, I'm excited just for the morning and for uh, all that we have. I do want to just talk about a vision night for a moment. So many of you, maybe that's the first time you've heard of that, or you've never been able to be part of it. What's really interesting is that in your life, there's things that you look back on and God has done amazing work. You can look back even over the last year probably and say, wow, look how far we've come. Look how far maybe I've grown or maybe there's some things that God is still doing, which is powerful. It's powerful to look back, but it's also powerful to say, God, what do you wanna do next? Like what, what fresh thing do you wanna do in my life? What fresh thing do you wanna do in our family? And kind of as a family conversation tonight, we're, we're going to talk about those two things, where we have been the last year and celebrating all that God has done. Just like John Michael said, there's some powerful things. You do look back, just lives that have been changed. Some of you got baptized for the first time right here in this room. Uh, some of you took steps of faith that were radical and, and recommitted your lives to Jesus even over this last couple months. Some of you, your, your kids got plugged into Christian community for the first time. Some of you started giving radically through the Gideon campaign. All of those things. Now, I just want to look back and say, thank you, God. Thank you for your incredible faithfulness to us. Thank you that when we didn't deserve it, you just showed up in the middle of a pandemic when the world felt like it was crumbling. You just showed up in a mighty, miracle, like miracle-working way. And I also want to look ahead to say, what, what does the next year hold? Like, what does the next year, as we approach our 15-year anniversary, grand opening, all these kind of things over the next couple Sundays, wh- where do you want to take us? Like, what's the future going to look like? Now, here's what I can say. If you come tonight, like, I love five-year plans. I can't wait for John to give me a nice five-year diagram. And I leave with a little card, and then I know exactly what each year is going to look like. I will not give you that. I promise to not give you that. I don't even have the ability to, to think that clearly for myself. So, But what I do know is I think there's some specific things God has deposited in, in my life, even in our staff's life, even in some of your lives that are all weaving together. And, and I don't know exactly what the next year will hold. I don't know what next week looks like. I have a three-month-old, so every day feels like a gift when I make it through. Like, uh, I, I don't know about your parenting journey. That's kind of how I feel right now. I'm like, yes, we made it. Um, but as a church, just to talk about that and to, to take the next step. And so if you can, like it'll be a family thing. So if you want to bring your kids in here and just hang out, it'll just be a family conversation. Right about an hour, six to seven o'clock, we're just going to hang out and have that kind of conversation together. So if you're able to come, great. Uh, if not, we'll make sure to fill you in on kind of what we talk about if you miss it or want some more information. Um, but summer's a great time to do that, to reflect back and then to look ahead. So many of you are in the journey of starting school and getting kids back into routines and maybe you're not working from home anymore or whatever it is, uh, we wanna take a moment just to pause as a church to look back, to thank God for what he's done, his faithfulness, and then to look ahead for what we think he wants to do. And so if you can, we'd love for you to be there. Summer's interesting because uh, I remember my summers were traveling a lot. How many of you like summers as a family were just a lot of road trips? Anybody else? Like, okay, perfect. So we got two of you. I'm really glad that you're both here. I'd feel awkward without you. Uh, but it is funny because I remember specifically in college. So my family drove everywhere, every holiday. None of our family lived in Michigan. So it literally felt like we were always in Mississippi or New Brunswick, Canada or Alabama or someplace that never conveniently was close to where we currently lived. And so we traveled a lot. So I get to college and it's my chance to just chill every summer, to hang out, 
And that's the opposite of what I did. I signed up for, for a recruitment team, which basically meant we traveled around to different colleges and churches and uh, we played music, we did worship, we did a whole bunch of different things. And so we had like a, a truck, which fit four of us guys, uh, which smelled great, if you're wondering. Like after a full summer, it smelled incredible. Uh, like Febreze, like to have our own scent, basically. But we're driving around all over the country. So we're going from Canada, we're going through Quebec, we're going to Ontario, we're going to Michigan, Ohio, uh, Kentucky, New Jersey, New York, like everywhere. We drove thousands and thousands of miles. But I remember our particular summer... Uh, because I'm a control freak, I prided myself on the fact that I wanted to drive every time. Like some of you are like that. You're like, you know what? I like to drive. So if we got to drive 10 hours, can I at least do nine and a half of them just so I feel sane? Like that's how I feel. And so even this summer, we just got back from a couple weeks of traveling and I drove as much as possible because I go crazy if I'm just sitting there. And so I was driving this particular day. We had a huge lunch, which is never good. It was sunny outside, and the, the drive we had to make was one hour. We are going from this town in Indiana to a town just a little bit south of this the town we were in. One-hour drive, which seems easy. So we have lunch. All three guys were driving maybe five minutes, knocked out of sleep, just cashed out all over this truck. They are totally asleep, and so I'm there driving by myself, and I'm spiritual, right? So I've got worship music playing. It's soft. The sun is shining. My, my stomach is full of good food. I can't wait to get to the next stop. And so I just slowly, and this, it's a 55, like we're on a county highway. It's not a fast highway, 55 miles per hour. And I just slowly start to close my eyes. Just slowly. It, it, it's a great moment. I'm, I'm serene. I'm, I'm placid. There's nothing happening right now. I just can't wait to close my eyes. And then I realize I'm driving still. <laughs> like, and so, and so I, I get them back open. I'm like, oh my goodness, like there's three other guys. And so five minutes goes by, the songs are still playing. I'm still feeling full. It's sunny outside. And I just start to slowly close my eyes again. And this time I don't open them. I'm closing my eyes and I, I, I go right through, you know how rumble strips are there? Yeah, I didn't feel that at all. Those are ineffective. So I go past the rumble strip, and then I start, to, I start to slowly kind of figure out what's happening because everything in the truck bed has shifted to the right side, and I'm going down into this ditch. Literally, I'm seeing like tall grass in front of me, and I'm like, where am I? Like, I, I woke up. I'm like, am I in Indiana anymore? Like, where am I? And I, so I jerk the truck back open, this huge trailer, like thousands of dollars of music equipment. I can hear just sloshing around in the truck bed and in this trailer. And so I get back onto the county highway, and of course, now everyone is woken up. Like, they're all awake. Like, John, what happened? Like, you're driving, and, and, and we were asleep, and it was a great moment. I was like, yeah, I slept too. It was that great of a moment. I was asleep. And so uh, we get back on the road. And so for the next couple miles, we're just talking about, oh my gosh, isn't that crazy? Like we could have died. We could have flipped over. Our school would have killed us for ruining their company vehicle and their trailer. Like all of these things go through our mind. And my brother is a part of the team. So he was in the back seat and, and he was watching a movie on his laptop. Now, what's crazy to me is the thing he said next. So we're talking about this and he said, yeah, it was weird. I kind of looked up from my laptop and I wondered, why are we going off the road? He was awake the whole time. What an awful brother. What a terrible person. Just a bad human in general. Like he was so locked into Lord of the Rings part three that I somehow almost died and we all died with him. 
But he was like, yeah, I kind of looked up into the mirror. I was like, what is happening? Like, is John awake or what is happening? He didn't say anything. He just had like the headphones in, which I think is interesting because, it, I mean, you know the power in your own life of looking to the wrong things, of like focusing on the wrong things and how that can lead you astray so many times. And that was hap- that's what happened. Joe is locked into Lord of the Rings part three and just was looking away from where he should have been looking. If he was awake and paying attention, he would have said, hey, you're going off the road, but, but we missed it. Now we're talking about parenting. This whole month we'd be kind of focusing on this specific role that so many of us play in our family's lives as parents. But here's the tension that all of us face. All of us grew up with parents, which seems like the most obvious thing you've ever heard. But you and I both grew up with at least one, maybe two, parents that were in our homes and were forming us and were teaching us and were correcting us or maybe lacked all of those things in your home. And so when we look for how to parent, how to grow to be the perfect parent, oftentimes in our mind, we end up drifting back to either an overreaction to the parents we had or we just fall into the mold of the parents that we had. But here's what you and I face. Here's the whole point of why we're doing this. We don't look, as followers of Jesus, we don't look to our parents for how to parent. We look to our Heavenly Father for how to parent. One is much more complicated and complex than the other. Like if you really want to make Jesus the center of your home, it is so much harder than if you just say, you know what, I'm just going to drift into how my dad did it. I'm just going to drift into how my mom did it. I'm just going to drift into how our society or how our neighbors are doing. And there's a key ingredient, I think, that, that so many of us miss when it comes to our parenting journeys. And if you have influence in this room, but you're not a parent yet, or you're still thinking about it, or you're like in high school and you're like, why, what does that have to do with me? Like, if you think about it, there's a key ingredient many of us don't ever get as parents. And I want to take you to Hebrews 12 to find that ingredient. So many of us, you probably already fill in the blank. You're like, I know what it is. I know what it is. And you're probably wrong. Like there's probably some area that you're actually, and I was wrong, like when I thought about this, but I want to take you to Hebrews 12. This letter, Hebrews, was written, we're not positive who the author is, but we know that the, the author was writing to encourage churches around the regions of Rome uh, who were facing intense persecution and suffering. Here's what the writer says in verse, verse 4 of chapter 12, Hebrews, 4, or Hebrews 12, verse 4, in your struggle against sin. You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Quick pause. None of you as parents hopefully have shed your blood at at that length. Like that is not exactly what he's talking about. He's writing to persecuted and suffering Christians who are facing external pressures to conform, to lead their homes like Romans did, to to kind of fall in line with what culture was doing. And and the writer is saying, you haven't yet had to give your life like some of them had. You haven't got to that point. But have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? Right away, parenting relationship, father addressing a son. Here's what it says, and he then quotes, or she quotes, who knows, quotes Proverbs and says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you. That word is kind of a, a parental correction, if you will. It's a loving correction. When I'm rebuking you. I'm not condemning you, but I'm trying to lead you in a different life. Don't lose heart when he rebukes you because, here it is again, the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. There's that parenting relationship 
Again, the writer continues and says, endure hardship as discipline. Endure suffering, endure hard moments in your life as discipline, as this corrective, loving action. God is treating you as his children. There's clue number one. How does God treat his children? God doesn't become their best friend. God doesn't say yes to everything they ask. He actually disciplines them sometimes. For what children are not disciplined by their father? He goes on, if you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. Not true sons and daughters at all, which is an intense statement, by the way. He's saying if you, if you are not disciplined by your heavenly father, and as parents, if you don't discipline your children, it actually forces them to ask the question, am I their child at all? Which is way more intense than how you and I think about discipline. Verse 9, moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more shall we submit to the father of spirits, it's talking about their heavenly father, and live. See, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness, the the likeness, the image of Christ being revealed in us, that holy character. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. My dad spanked me, I say amen to that. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. I was afraid of the belt. No discipline seemed pleasant at the time, but painful, amen. Later on, however, later on, when you're on the other side of discipline, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I think the key ingredient so many of our parenting journeys end up missing is is healthy discipline. Now, I don't mean discipline like do you go to the gym and do you, work, like, do you work well and do you eat well. I mean discipline as in corrective, loving action directed at your kids who are under your roof. Like if you're a parent who's in a situation where your kids are 35, this, this message may not directly apply because you're, if you try to discipline a 35-year-old, it's just awkward in public, okay? Like <laughs> don't do that. I would just recommend that. But if you have kids under your roof or you have influence on someone who is in that younger stage of life. This is what we're talking about here. In verse 5, uh, one thing I don't want you to miss, and he's quoting a proverb here, but one thing that's kind of consistent throughout Scripture is whenever there's discussion about sonship, there's a discussion about suffering. Those things are actually linked, like suffering or discipline and sonship. Just like discipline and discipleship, the following of Jesus, that word even looks and and sounds the same because they come from the same idea, those are always linked. Like to be an undisciplined disciple of Jesus doesn't really work in the long term. It could work in the short term for sure. But it takes discipline to to learn and to think like Jesus. It's not just natural. And that's kind of the whole point of of Hebrews writing this, the author saying this to this church, because discipline produces disciples every single time. Now, you can be discipled in the way of the world. You can be discipled in the way of Jesus. All of us are being discipled into something. But for those of us who surrendered our lives to King Jesus— We are asking him to discipline us. And as parents, that means we then discipline in that same way to produce disciples, to produce something that we couldn't have done if we lacked discipline. This is so true with kids, which is why there's kind of a cultural clue in verse eight. Some of you may have caught this and it it seems intense. Like the writer says, if you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. 
wait a second. So you're saying if I don't discipline my kids, they aren't my kids. That's essentially what the writer's saying, which seems way over the line. You're like, come on, like, I'm the best friend parent and, and, the wife, and my spouse is the mean one, okay? That's how we work, like good cop, bad cop. He's saying, no, 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 if you don't discipline your kids, you actually are, are signaling to them that, that you don't care about their formation, you don't care about their growth. This is especially true in ancient Rome, which we've talked about this through the other parts of the series. In ancient Rome, the father kind of held the power of life and death, literally right or wrong, probably wrong, but if they did something out of line, the, the father had the power to say, I don't want this kid anymore. Like I'm out, which is an incredibly kind of negative patriarchal society that they lived in. But the reality was that fathers and mothers disciplined their kids as a sign to them that they were their kids. Like if you saw a family out in the, in the public square and the kid was running off and doing something you know is wrong or stole something or, or talked back to their parents in a rude way and the parents just let it go, well, that was a signal to them that you don't care about that kid. That may not even be their kid. This may be a kid. Like they're not legitimate because they're not caring enough to call them out, to discipline them. Like to not discipline your kids in, in Roman culture was unthinkable. Like the writer here doesn't even give room for not discipline. He's like, and everyone disciplines their kids, right? Here's a cultural temptation all of us face right now. I don't think the cultural temptation is to be too hard on our kids right now. I think the cultural temptation is to be a best friend to our kids right now. It's just to say yes to anything they want. Some of you have seen that movie on Netflix, right? Yes Day. It's like the entire day the parents just say yes to everything they want. And every kid's like, I love that movie. Like, I want to live that movie. Like, and maybe you grew up in a household where you're, that's how your parents operated. They were your best friends. They didn't call you out. They didn't discipline you. They didn't say no to you. Some of you grew up in homes where discipline was punishment, which is almost borderline abusive. Some of you grew up in homes where discipline was just non-existent. They were just your friends, your buddies, your pals. And that's a cultural temptation I think all of us can get sucked into just to be a best friend. But let me just clearly as a professional parent three months in, okay? Let me just give you something clearly because I'm not in this stage right now. But after talking to so many of you and, and studying this with other people who are so far ahead of me on that journey, God has placed us in, as parents in our kids' lives. Now, there'll be times where that takes the role of a friend. There'll be times where you can do things that, that make you feel like you're on the same level, but that's not all parenting is supposed to be. Parenting has a, another dimension to it of authority and responsibility. See, best friend parents get sucked into the thinking. If I just give them what they want now, they'll turn out okay, right? Candy now becomes a beer at 16 later. Like, I'm just going to keep saying yes and hope that they figure life out and hope that they turn out to be a good person, hope that they don't make too many mistakes. Like in, genu in general, I kind of trust my child. But best friend parents get sucked into that thinking. It, it's the thinking that says, I'm going to give them what they want now at the expense of producing a Jesus-following disciple for life. We're not after right now. Like, like that's what discipline says. I'm going to discipline my children. I'm going to lovingly correct them so that they actually lead the kind of life that God wants them to lead. And they can't lead that if I always say yes and I never correct which is hard. I mean, culturally, that is a weird thing. 
like you and I, that's why the Christians stuck out in Rome, because they, they viewed discipline not just as something they got to do, or it's like, well, you're my property, so I get to boss you around, but discipline was actually how they related vertically to their heavenly father. Their model was not their parents or their neighbors or their Roman official next door. It was their heavenly father. It was God who, who disciplined out of love, who corrected Israel, who corrects his people out of love and, and, their, and their formation. And now some of you may be sitting here as like, okay, you're, is it really that big of a deal if I don't want to discipline my kids? Is it really that big of a deal if I say yes 98.9% of the time? Uh, yeah, it kind of is a big deal. Because, and here's why. A lack of discipline over time can be fatal for a kid's formation. A lack of discipline over time can, can actually communicate the opposite message that we get into lack of discipline for. It's like if we just say, yes, they're going to love me, I'm going to have a good relationship, they're going to confide in me when something's hard. And that could be true in the short term, but in the long term, and I'm a benefit of this, I'm a benefactor of this moment, of this in my parents' lives. And in the long term, though, discipline actually yields what, what the writer says, a harvest of righteousness, a transformed life. My brother's a pastor down in Middleville, and uh, they had this uh, really exciting opportunity a couple years ago to expand. So their church was growing, and they had a, a moment to say, there's this church down the road that closed. All you need to do is renovate the building, and it's yours. And so they said, yes, that makes total sense. We got people driving from Middleville. We're going to launch this kind of second location there to, to reach people down like the, the M37 corridor, and we're going to do that. And so they do it. They sign on, they get the papers, they get the keys, they start the renovation project. Now, this was like in the hundreds of thousands of dollars of renovation that still need to happen. So they're doing it. They kind of, they kind of work on this whole project. Uh, they're getting really close to some sort of grand opening. It's like an exciting time. The church is excited and people in Middleville are starting to hear about it and starting to meet Jesus, even as this project is continuing on. And they're like weeks away at this point from a grand opening. Well, my brother gets a call in the middle of the night and says, Joel, you need to come to the building immediately. Come to the middle of the building right now. And he's like, uh, okay, <laughs> I guess. I'm not really sure what could happen. He drives down M37 as quick as he can, and this is the picture that he sees. This building literally erupted in flames overnight. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of damage. There's fire crews there. There's police crews there. There's news crews already there. And he's like, what is going on? Well, as you know, with any kind of commercial fire like that, there's extensive investigation. I mean, it, was it arson? Was it uh, neglig negligence? Was it someone did this on purpose? Like, how, how do you figure that out? And so they start this process, months go by, months go by. They finally dig down enough to find that what caused the initial flame, like what caused the initial fire, was one of the work crews just simply left a soldering gun plugged in. And it caught wind, and all the factors kind of worked together and, and lit this thing on fire. Literally took a year plus to, to repair and to reopen this building that was supposed to building be open just a few weeks before that. One thing plugged in. One kind of lack of discipline moment. Over time, prolonged, a whole kind of way of thinking prolonged actually leads to a destructive end for our kids. See, I get it. Like, I've been with you long enough. Like, it's easier sometimes 
to cave to the four-year-old. But remember, discipline produces disciples. When, when it's easier to, to just quit on the 17-year-old acting his shoe size at the time, when it's just easier, it's like, man, it'd be easier. Remember, discipline produces Disciples, when you feel exhausted, you don't want to have that conversation with your teenage daughter again. Remember, discipline produces disciples. And I get it. In, in the cultural climate we're in, this is more difficult than it's ever been. It's, it's going to be harder for you this fall than it was last fall. Uh, maybe some of you are walking through the fallout of divorce or you're parenting by yourself right now, and, and you're not even sure, how do I... John, I can't even think about making that move. I'm just exhausted through the summer. And if, I mean, my, my, even my own extended family walking through just the pain of divorce, like it's easy. The temptation is there to just play the role of best friend parent. But can I tell you something? You can't buy the ability to be a great parent. You can't take enough kids out for lunch or be the, the best friend and make your spouse the enemy or make them the one who's got a discipline. It just doesn't work. I mean, I've had a lot of people say, well, John, where, where can we go for kind of a biblical example of a good family, of good parenting? And here's what I say, don't go to the Bible, <laughs> because the Bible is literally full. It is full of families that are way more jacked up and broken than your family, way more imperfect, parents that really struggled. And so if anything, it's a good thing to know. You're in good company if parenting is not easy, if it's hard, and that journey of discipline feels even harder. But here's what all of the families in the Bible point to, is that, that we can't look to other families and other parents for how to parent. We have one guide. We have one way. As a parent, you, ha you have one perfect example of what it means to father and to love well, and that's our Heavenly Father. You see this in the New Testament play out a little bit. You see relationships like Timothy and Paul. Timothy, this young adult who gets kind of thrust into planting this church in, in the kind of tough area of Ephesus, and Paul's a little bit older, he, he almost parents him. But in 2 Timothy 3, you can go read this. You can see a perfect example where Timothy, as a young adult, is saying, I am so glad I had people in my life who would discipline me. Parent figures in my life who are willing to take the time to lovingly correct. And then you can look back and see stories like we said, David, Tamar, Absalom, 2 Samuel 13, if you want like an insane broken story to read as a way to say, watch out. I mean, David fails as a parent in that story. He fails his role to be the one to discipline and to lovingly correct his child in a, in a very tense situation. Which is funny, because this series is called Raising the Perfect Parent. And if you have parented for a little while, you know, you're not raising your kids. They're raising you. <laughs> you're not disciplining your kids. At the end of the day, you're actually getting disciplined. Like, I have a three-month-old. That's exactly how I feel. Uh, you'd be worried if I was like, here's all the ways I discipline Lennon. Just really come down on her, and we're working through that loving discipline thing, like, we're not even close to that stage. I'm just, I'm happy that she's fed and healthy and whole. That's, that's the end of the day. But, but we will get to that point. But right now as a three-month-old, Lennon is disciplining Lindsay and I. Like there's things we're learning in kind of the environment and the crucible of parenting a newborn. We would not learn anywhere else. It's actually a divine gift from God. 
That doesn't always look like a gift, doesn't always feel like a gift, but can I tell you, this is one of kind of the hidden blessings of being in a, in a church community like this. Because I get to come every Sunday, and some of you are like, hey, just so you know, you're not crazy. <laughs> just so you know, you will sleep at some point. Just so you know, your kid will talk at some point and actually be able to meaningfully communicate their, their, her needs with you. Like, it's a power of community. This is why we're, we're launching groups in September and why you need to be in a small group. Because if you try to parent by yourself, you try to say, okay, I'm going to make some changes. I'm going to learn what it means to lovingly discipline my kids this fall. You cannot do that by yourself. You will get exhausted, burnt out, stressed. You'll quit. But if we're doing it together, it makes all the difference. There's power, actually, in parenting together. Here's, here's the question a perfect parent asks when it comes to this. If you're wondering, how do I reflect? How do I take something away from this? I want to start the journey. Perfect parents ask this question. If I let this go, this could be a conversation. It could be uh, a moment at school, it could be a physical altercation, it could be uh, a move they made while they're out driving by themselves, it could be something they purchased, it could be, could be something they were caught looking at. If I let this go, how will this reproduce itself in 10 years? If I let it go, if I say I'm just going to be the best friend parent, say you didn't do anything wrong, I don't need to correct this, I don't need to, to call you out for this, I don't need to kind of rebuke you in this, in this scenario. If I let this go, how will this reproduce itself when they're 50, when they're 15, when they're 30? Like if I don't, if I let this go, how will this reproduce itself in 10 years? Can I give you two really easy steps to just start the journey right now? If you're like, okay, I get it. Like, I need this. And, and, and John Gorbett up here is saying, I need this. There's going to be a moment very soon, I'm sure, where I've got to really figure this out, and I'm going to need your help. But there's two ways, I think, as you search through the scriptures, as you look through even this passage we read, two ways you can start the journey. They're not super complicated, but very few of us actually do them. Number one is to be consistent. Be consistent. Now, I mean be consistent in your example, do what you say you're going to do. Be the kind of person you say you are because our kids watch that. Our kids are looking to you. Are, their eyes are on you to figure out, are they actually living out what they're saying? Be consistent in your example and be consistent in your discipline. We're going to talk next week about the stereotype or the category of volcano parent, right? When you, you blow up at certain things, you overreact, and all that comes from unprocessed wounds and damage done probably in your childhood or as you grew up but be consistent in your discipline be consistent in your boundaries be consistent in the, in the kind of rule of life you've set out for your family be consistent in the spiritual rhythms and practices that you've kind of made a part of your family unit be consistent and the second one is be bold Can I tell you like our, our culture is not going to help you do this it's not going to help you lovingly discipline your children. It's just not. And you've probably maybe even looked to that. It's like, man, could someone out here in the world help me? But I'm just going to tell you, if you want to be bold, you don't take cultural cues for how to parent. You look to the source. You look to your strength. You look to the well that won't run out. You look to the one who can give you energy when you feel exhausted. You look to the one who literally laid his life down for you sacrifice himself for you in most perfect act of love the world has ever seen so that you and I
could parent in a supernatural way. And that's going to take sometimes you being bold and sticking your neck out and kind of bucking against what maybe feels normal or you grew up with or how your, your family or your mom or your dad did this. Be bold. We need in this time, like the church was built for these kind of moments where the world is swirling in chaos, but there are parents and there are kids who know the way and they follow the way who are consistent and are bold and are willing to submit to authority. If you're a middle school or high school student, man, can I just tell you that discipline actually is a way for you to grow. Like receive it as a gift. Receive it as a gift. That's not always easy, but receive it as a gift. God is saying that's actually how you produce what he calls a harvest of righteousness. It brings peace to you. Be consistent, be bold, because discipline produces Disciples, that's the kind of people we want to be. We don't want to parent like everyone else's parents. I don't want to parent just like the way my parents did or, or Lindsay's parent did. I want to look and say, God, would you help me parent the way you parent, the way you want to lead? Would you help me be the most authentic and surrendered parent I can be in this moment? And so I, I want to pray for you because I know that this is really hard. I know that for some of you, this is, like the tension of your life. It's just a season you're in with your kids. It's just pulling maybe your marriage apart, maybe you apart, maybe spiritually you're drifting because it just feels like it's so difficult and so awkward. And so what I want to do is just invite you to, we're going to sing, just invite you to close your eyes as a way to focus, a way to say, God, you have my attention. And if you know, there is just, there's even an area you don't have to name names, but maybe there's a kid right now in your family. You're just like, it is really hard to lovingly discipline and parent them the way I know God wants me to do it. If you would just slip your hand up real quick, just real quick. I want to pray specifically for you. I want to ask God to move in your parenting journey. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So God, I pray just for those who today know that they, they need you. They need your help. They need your wisdom. They need your discernment. And I thank you, God, that you have a way. Uh, when we confess need, when we confess our just full-fledged dependence on you, you have a way of meeting us in that that is unlike anything else. That we can't buy, we can't read enough about, we can't just kind of muster up the courage in and of ourselves. You, you bring it by your Holy Spirit as a total gift. So I thank you for that. And I pray that for those of us who are, are in that role of parent today, however it looks, God, would you help us to be consistent and bold, knowing that what we're doing maybe is hard in the short term, maybe feels painful even for us as a parent in the short term. But know that you've got incredible things on the other side of that, that there's long-term benefits, there's a long-term harvest that will come in the nitty-gritty moments where things are not super easy. So we hold on to you, God. We thank you for the example of Jesus, the incredible, the humble and submissive spirit with which he walked this earth. And I thank you for a loving heavenly father who doesn't fail, who doesn't overreact, who doesn't punish, but a God who walks with us, a God who is a father like no other father we've ever experienced. So we hold on to you today in Jesus' name.